If you'll take your copy of scripture and turn the book of Romans, Romans chapter 5, Jesus is calling us. He's calling us into new life. And we have terms that we use about the life that we have in Christ. We call it new life, abundant life, everlasting life, eternal life. And the, the reality is, I think sometimes we don't fully understand the depth of the meaning of the new life that Christ has given us. You ever had something that you didn't get the full benefits from? Uh, that you had, it was available to you, but you just maybe didn't know that, that you could use that or didn't know the full extent of those things. I remember that uh, when I f- first got a big boy credit card, one of the benefits that I had was that I would get points back. I would get cash back. Didn't know that I had it. Had the card for two years, racking up all these cash back points, never knew that I had them. One day I looked at my statement and I saw this thing that said points. You have all these points that you can redeem. And I thought, well, that's cool. What is that? And so I called and I found out that I had $800 waiting on me that was there that I didn't even know I had. And I think a lot of times our Christian walk and our new life in Christ is much like that. We understand that we've been saved by grace. We understand that our sin has been forgiven. We understand that our name has been written in the Lamb's book of life, but we don't understand the benefits that come with new life in Christ. Now, I don't want you to think that I'm one of those infomercial guys on late at night, but wait, there's more. But there is more. There's benefits to the new life that Christ has given us that give us the power, the courage, the boldness to live this new life out in a world that doesn't accept the new life. And one of the benefits that we've been given in our new life in Christ is something called justification. Big word, simple meaning. Justification is a legal term that says we have been declared not guilty. We have been declared guilty innocent. We have been set free. The court case is over. And this is a standing that God gives us, and it's a benefit of our new life in Christ. In fact, it was so powerful. Paul spent 11 verses, and we're going to read about that today, spent 11 verses talking about our justification in Christ and how it impacts our life as believers. So I hope today maybe you'll have an experience like I did learning about there's benefits out there that have been accruing that I didn't know anything about, that you didn't know anything about, and that you'll hear this today and it'll empower you to go out and live the new life that Christ has given you and stand in this wonderful benefit that he's given us. So let's look in Romans chapter five, and we're gonna start in verse one and learn about this new benefit of the new life in Christ, justification with God. Therefore, Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only this, but we also rejoice in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even die. But God demonstrated his own love to us that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. 
For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Paul gives us this wonderful good news of new life. I learned something this week, as our, or a couple of weeks ago when I was preparing this message. Um, I didn't realize the term good news or euangelion, the Greek word, the gospel, uh, was actually a military term. That's how it started out, it was a military term. And I love this because it's an awesome thing. The, the way the military used it is they designated a messenger to take the good news of victory back to the people. Think about how awesome that would be, to be the messenger that gets to go back home and tell everybody at home, we won! We won! We've defeated the enemy. The battle is over. We're coming home in victory. And that's what Paul's doing here in chapter 5. He's giving us the good news of a new life. He's telling us the gospel. The gospel is the good news of victory over an enemy. When was the last time that you got good news? When was the last time that you got genuinely good news that rejoiced your heart? I can think of several times in my life. Uh, one of the first times that I, really great good news was when my wife said yes when I asked her to marry me. No pause. She said yes. It was awesome. I remember another time when I got good news when I found out that I was going to have a son and when I found out I was going to have a daughter. It's great news. Good news when I found out that this church voted yes for me to come be your pastor. It was great news. But listen, as great as all of those things are, it pales into comparison to the night that I heard the good news that the battle had been won, victory had been given to me, my sin had been defeated, the devil had been destroyed, and I could be set free. And so Paul says, listen, I am coming as a messenger with the gospel of the good news of new life in Christ. This is the greatest news you're ever going to hear. It's the greatest news you're ever going to be given. And this is the greatest news that you need to live your life in. But listen how he starts. In verse 1 he says, therefore. Therefore. Having been justified. He wants us to understand that the good news is rooted and grounded in something amazing. And it's justification. That we have been justified by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. We've been justified. Now, I already gave you the definition of justification, but I'll say it again. Justification is a legal term. It's used in courtrooms. And so the scene that Paul wants to paint for us is that we are in the courtroom of God. God is the judge, and he's sitting at his seat, and then the law is the prosecutor. It stands against us, and the law shows all the places where we've broken the law, we've not kept the law's commands, we've, we've transgressed the law, and so all the evidence is there. And the law presents its case. And the verdict is given. Guilty. Guilty is charged. 
You have broken the law. You've transgressed the law. You've rebelled against God's commands. You haven't kept the law with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Guilty. And then the punishment is handed out. Death. In fact, Paul gives us this entire argument in chapters one, two, three, and four. That's what he's laying out. Paul lays out the crime that all have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God. No one is good. No one is righteous. No one keeps God's law. And he lays out the verdict, all are guilty. And then he says, and what happens because of our guilt, this is the punishment that we've incurred, death. The wages of sin is death. You're storing up for yourself wrath and judgment in the day of wrath and judgment. And then he gives the solution. That's why that word therefore is so powerful right there. Therefore, all of these things are true. You are guilty. You deserve death and hell. God has laid the verdict on you. You are not righteous. You are not holy. You are not blameless. And are you ready? Here's the good news. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace. We have peace with God. In God's courtroom, we have been declared guilty The sentence has been delivered. How then can we be declared justified? How can we be declared innocent? How can we be declared not guilty? How can the charges against us be dropped? It's not because God just waves his hand and pretends like it didn't happen. No, he doesn't do that. God does something unimaginable. He takes off the robe of judge walks down off the stand, stands in our place and says, take me. Take me. I will pay the penalty. See, this is the thing the world doesn't understand. See, they hear this and they think that this is soft forgiveness, that we're letting bad people off the hook and nobody wants to let criminals off the hook, do we? We get mad when judges give really ridiculous sentences to people who have done horribly, terribly wrong things. But we wouldn't be so mad if the penalty that they had been given had been paid. You know, we talk about that, paying our debt to society. But here's the reality. The debt that we owe is not a debt to society. The debt that we owe is a debt to God. And God says, I'm willing to pay that debt. And so here's how we are declared innocent. Here's how we are declared not guilty. Here's how the charges against us are dropped with double jeopardy and prejudice. Those are legal terms. I don't know if you know about those, but in the court, if you go through and you go through a trial and you are declared innocent by trial, you can never be retried for those charges again. Even if evidence comes up to show that you did it, You can never be tried again because double jeopardy has attached. Same thing in God's courtroom. 
When Jesus stands in our place and he pays our debt, those charges can never be brought against us again. So here's what he says. Therefore, good news. Having been justified by faith. By faith. Yeah, by faith. Not in what you do. Not in how hard you do it. Not in what church you belong to, but faith. Faith in what? Jesus. It's faith in Christ's finished work. We are justified. We are made new. And then he says, we have peace with God. We have peace with God through Jesus. Now, Peace is a, an elusive term. It's a lot like love. We use the term love and it really doesn't mean anything anymore and peace is the same way. I want you to think for just a second. If I were to ask you, what is your definition of peace? What would you say? The absence of problems, right? I'm at peace when there's no problems in my life, but is that really true? I mean, you, you may not have problems going on in your life, but you may are at odds with your spouse, you're at odds with your kids, you're at odds with your sister, you're at odds with somebody at work. There's no peace in your life. And ultimately, you can have nothing going on in your life and be at odds with God. And so God wants to make very clear what kind of peace he wants to sow in our life. And here it is, peace with God. Now, as much as I want you to have peace with your spouse and peace with your kids and peace with your family and peace with people you work with, all that pales in comparison to peace with God. And yet here it is. He gives it to us. He gives it to us. Part of justification is we come in by faith and we believe in Christ's finished work and Christ takes our penalty and he pays our debt and here's what God hands us. We hand him our debt and he hands us his peace. We have peace. The war is over. We have surrendered. Never to fight again. Peace is not a feeling. Peace is a standing. You're either in peace or you're not. You're either at peace or you're not. Do you hear the good news of a new life? We've been justified by faith. We've been declared innocent. We've been declared not guilty. But not only have we been declared those things, we have been put in peace. And he says, we stand in grace in Jesus. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. Did you catch it? Not a feeling, a standing. Not a hope, a standing. There has been a great change in our life. There's been a great transformation in our life. The standing that we had when we entered into God's courtroom was that we are a rebel. We are a sinner. 
We're hostile to God. We're an enemy to God, and that's our standing. We stood apart from God, and we could not change that standing no matter what we did. God, in his grace, and God, in his goodness, took our place, he paid our debt, and he changed our standing. He took us from enemy and brings us to child. He took us from far away and brings us close. He took us from debtor to heir. He changed our standing. And here is the beautiful, wonderful truth that you need to hear. Just as you could do nothing to change your standing as a sinner, you can do nothing to change your standing as saved. You had nothing to get there. You did nothing to earn it. You didn't buy it. You didn't purchase it. God changed your standing and you never can change it back. God has taken you and introduced you into this thing called grace in which you stand. Here's the truth of new life. Here's the benefit of justification. You have peace with God you're at peace with God, and you stand in grace forever. Now, as you read this passage, Paul kind of seems to take a left turn here, and he starts talking about troubles and trials and things like that, and it's like, well, wait a second. Why would you do that? Like, I love this about being at peace with God, and I love this about justification, and I love this about grace. Why the hard turn? Because if those things don't impact our everyday life, what good are they? What good is a standing change if it doesn't change the way that you live your life? What's good at being at peace with God if it doesn't change your daily life? And so Paul says, listen, I've laid out the case I've presented all the evidence. I've declared the verdict. And now I've declared the antidote. been justified. You're at peace. You stand in grace. And now I want to connect that to something real in your life. Listen to this phrase, hope that doesn't disappoint. Hope that doesn't disappoint. Every time I read that phrase, and even as I was preparing for this and I read that phrase, I thought, man, I want that. I want to hope that doesn't disappoint. Because I don't know about you, but there's not a lot of things in my life that comes through on the promises that it sells, right? I've tried just about every fad diet there is out there. And I can tell you, no, I didn't lose 40 pounds in two days. No, I, I didn't lose my gut overnight. And so we put our hope in things all the time that don't work. And so what happens, because we put our hope in things that doesn't work, when he talks about hope, we go, ha, 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 yeah, right. Right. How is your hope going to be anything different than what I've seen before? Well, the difference is God has changed our standing. We are at peace with God. We've been justified by faith. And so now we have a hope that truly doesn't disappoint. 
We have a hope that truly does something in our life and gives us the ability to live the new life that God has given us in a world that doesn't want to see it. And so Paul goes for the jugular right off the bat. Look at what he says. Verse three. And not only this, that's his, but wait, there's more. Not only do we have peace, not only are we standing in grace, not only have we been justified, there's more. And here's the more. We rejoice in our tribulation. That is not a word that we like, is it? If we're honest, and I'll just be honest with you, a lot of times when I'm reading and I come to tribulation, I just skip it. I'll just kind of put my hand over and go, I didn't see that. It's not there. I mean, really, do we want tribulation in our life? And I want to, I want to define tribulation because I think we've misunderstood tribulation. Tribulation is talking very specifically um, about something. We're going to get to that in a second. Let me tell you what tribulation is not. Tribulation is not a flat tire on your way to work. Tribulation is not your favorite TV show getting canceled. Tribulation is not having a bad day. Tribulation is not getting bad news. Paul's speaking about something very specific. Tribulation, let me tell you what tribulation is. Tribulation is suffering that comes from living out your new life in a world that doesn't want it. Tribulation is suffering for living like Jesus. And here's the truth that we all need to hear. Timothy tells us, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will face tribulation. When people reject us, when people mock us, when people say things about us because we are living for Christ, that's called tribulation. It is suffering it's paying the cost of living out your standing in a world against God. And so here's what Paul says. Even in that, even in that, we have hope that doesn't disappoint. How? Because in that tribulation, we stand in grace. We stand in peace. It doesn't matter how high they crank the heat on us. It doesn't matter how much they laugh at us. It doesn't matter how much they mock what we believe. We still stand in grace. We still stand in peace and that can never be taken away. And here's what Paul's trying to say. When you put the things on the scale, what has more value? all this nonsense of people putting us down or thinking we're kooky because we live out the faith that God has given us or the enormous weight of grace and peace with God, which has more value. Unfortunately, for many of us, myself included, it's the other. I worry so much more about what people think of me than remembering that I stand at peace with God. 
that I've been justified by faith, that I stand in grace and that can never be taken away. I worry more about people thinking I'm kooky or weird than I do living out the faith that God's given me. The reason that we don't have hope that doesn't disappoint is because we put our hope in the wrong things. We wanna be liked by people. We wanna be accepted by culture. We wanna be left alone. And the reality is, if we are truly living out our faith, if you read the New Testament, and I encourage you to do that, if you read the New Testament, what do you see at every turn? Every time the Christians prayed, opposition. Every time the Christians came together to fellowship, opposition. Every time the Christians came together to share the gospel, opposition. And never once did they say, you're defrauding my rights. You're taking my rights away from me. What did they do? They stood in the grace that God had given them and they plowed ahead. Christianity overthrew one of the most oppressive and horrible regimes, the Roman government, and they never filed a Supreme Court case. They never lobbied the senators because they wouldn't listen. They didn't appeal to the king. What'd they do? They stood in grace and they lived their life. They followed Jesus and he unleashed the greatest power that had ever been unleashed on the face of the earth, the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit changed hearts and minds and flipped a nation upside down. That's hope. That's hope that doesn't disappoint. We're not putting our hope in structures and government and in people. We're putting our hope in the standing that God has given us and the power of his Holy Spirit. Hope that doesn't disappoint. The love of God has been poured out in your life by the Holy Spirit. How does hope not disappoint? I mean, he gives us the things that we need to face in persecution, in times of trouble, but more than that, we wanna think, well, how, how am I gonna make it? That's just a lot. How am I gonna be able to hold up under that? He doesn't expect you to. He doesn't expect you to soldier on. He doesn't expect you to try harder. Here's what he does. He pours out his love in you through the Holy Spirit that he's given to you. Don't take my word for it. Look at what it says. Not only this, verse three, but we also rejoice in our troubles knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our heart through the Holy Spirit. God has given you everything that you need for life and godliness. Second Peter chapter one. The moment God poured his love into your heart, called the Holy Spirit, he gave you everything that you need to face life and to be godly. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ by giving us the Holy Spirit. We have access to his throne. He gives us complete and open access to come to him anytime that we want. We get to go before his face and we get to pray to the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the creator of worlds. And he listens and he cares and he answers. 
We've been blessed by this word, this powerful, wonderful word to know God's heart and to know what he wants for us. We've been blessed with church families to be able to come together to worship and to hold each other accountable, to hold each other up. God has poured his love out. So we stand in grace and we stand in peace because God has poured his love out in us and he's put the Holy Spirit inside of us. Nothing can shake our standing before God. We have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians chapter one, Paul uses a banking term on this ceiling. Here's what he says. God puts the Holy Spirit inside of us as a deposit. God has deposited the Holy Spirit inside of us as a guarantee. And the guarantee is that if I put him in, I'm gonna bring you home. Think about it. How bad would it be if God placed himself inside someone and that person didn't make it to heaven? There'd be a piece of God that wasn't there. And God said, here's the hope that I want you to have. No matter what you face, no matter what you encounter, I've poured my love out in you. I've deposited my Holy Spirit inside of you. And because I have deposited him in you, nothing can shake your standing before me and nothing can keep you from coming home when I call. We really do win. This is the hope that doesn't disappoint. If we live, we live for Christ. And he changes us from moment to moment and day to day. If we die, we go to be with Christ. Where's the loss in that? To live as Christ and to die as gain. That's a hope that doesn't disappoint. Hope that doesn't disappoint. God has demonstrated his love for us. Not only has he poured his love out, but he's demonstrated his love. While we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man, someone would dare die. But God demonstrated his own love toward us that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. God went out of his way to show us how far his love goes. God saved us from his wrath by giving us new life. And I love the introduction that Paul gives to this. Paul wants us to understand that God didn't love easy people. God didn't love good people. God demonstrated love to his enemies. See, God never asks us to do things that he hasn't already done himself. When we read words, when Jesus says to turn your other cheek and to love your enemy, we think, nah, Mm -mm. that's too much. Thankfully, Jesus didn't live by our standards because Jesus did love his enemy. And guess what? I was his enemy. You were or maybe are his enemy. And yet he demonstrated his love by dying for his enemies. 
And so he saves us from wrath by giving us new life. Now, I want to go back to that courtroom analogy because it's important to tie that off. We, we would say, well, listen, paying the debt isn't enough. You still have that same ruined, rotten person, that evil person that's leaving the courtroom. Nothing's changed. You'd be wrong. Because when God demonstrates his love toward us and Christ dies for us, he gives us a new life. So yes, he pays our penalty. Yes, he declares us innocent. Yes, he declares us not guilty. And as he sends us out of the court, he sends us out of the court a completely new person. Remember? Person who came in, their standing was an enemy and the standing was changed to a child. So he doesn't just wipe the slate clean and send this horrible, awful person back out into the public with this free gift to go run and do what they want to do. No, he changes them from the inside out and sends this completely new person out. Hope that doesn't disappoint. We're saved from wrath by Christ restoring our relationship says that we now have reconciliation. Reconciliation is a great word. It means that conflict has been settled. It means relationship has been restored. And the reason that this is such a powerful and wonderful thing is we don't see that very often in our life, do we? We don't see true reconciliation. What we see is people just kind of letting go, like I've held on to this long enough, eh, I'll move on. But no acknowledgement of guilt, no acknowledgement of hurt and pain, no acknowledgement of offering and asking for forgiveness, none of that. I'm just tired and I'm gonna give up. People fade out of our life we have to really kind of think about why it is and we remember, oh, there was, I had this against them or they had this against me and we just went our ways. That's not reconciliation. Jesus brings reconciliation. He ends the war. He settles the debt and then he restores the relationship. He puts us in this place of reconciliation. I know you, you guys get tired of hearing me quote this verse, but it's my favorite verse. And it gives us the idea of what he's talking about. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's what reconciliation looks like. Every time you confess, I forgive. Every time you repent, I restore. Every time you come, I wash you clean and make you new. So we get this doubt that creeps inside of us. I'm not gonna make it. I've done too much. I've said too much. I've not done enough. I've not tried hard enough. And that's where the message of reconciliation comes in. <laughs> Stop. Turn, repent, confess. I will heal, forgive, and restore. 
So here it is. You've heard the good news of new life today. Have you experienced the victory of Jesus in your life? Has there ever been a moment where you've come and recognized that you're an enemy and he, want to make you, he wants to make you a child? If you haven't, in just a moment, we're gonna pray and we're gonna start our hymn of invitation, an opportunity for you to come forward. I would love to share with you the good news of new life and see God transform your life. Maybe you're here today and you're looking for that hope that doesn't disappoint here's the question you have to ask yourself. What am I putting my hope in other than my standing before God, my peace with God? What am I putting my hope in? And if there's anything other than those things, it's time to repent and confess. And in that moment, here's what Jesus is gonna do. He's gonna remind you of your standing. He's gonna cleanse you from all those things and he's gonna restore you and restore that hope. What do you say? Why don't you make today the day that God brings victory into your life? Let's pray. Father, we thank you. I pray that as you're speaking to us, Father, that we would listen. That we wouldn't allow pride or insecurity or feelings of worthlessness or hopelessness, or just wondering what people would think, keep us from stepping out in faith to be justified, to be at peace, to stand in grace, to find a hope that doesn't disappoint, that shows up in our life. Help us not to leave. Help us not to run. Help us not to shut down, but to say yes. So Father, we thank you for this time. We offer this time to you. Move us. Help us to say yes. In Jesus' name, amen.